Borak Dong Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and it's the 172nd episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast, where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for October 1987, progs 543 to 546. This time, the freaks are freaky. Strut the strontium dogs start a rammy, chop and chopper returns as do, do Nemesis and Torquemada. Awesome, but I mean, like yeah. only one of the Torquemadas for now. Yeah, I mean they're both kind of there. It's comp. We'll, we'll get to it. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> uh, if you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd: Complete Case Files Eleven, Strontium Dog SCH Files Four, Zenith Phase One. The Complete Nemesis, The Warlock, Volume 2, The Judge Dread Magazine 364, and 2008 pre- Presents Sci-Fi Thrillers. Oh, so many things. It's a lot of stuff. I mean, on it, although, honestly, some things haven't really been collected. Like, I don't think Bradley's ever really been collected anywhere, so that's huh. sort of a loose one. Um yeah, and yeah, it could be a real gross uh, children's book. We'll get to that uh, yeah, later. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I mean. I, I don't, I don't know if I'd want to buy the Bradley collection. I guess. <laughs> hey, but speaking of collections, you do want to see it's through th- one zenith, dude. I, I enter the dragon. I everything. Yeah. I love this title, but it's used everywhere. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, it's very like. Reused and used and used again, of course. Mm. Uh, script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole, letting robot Mark King. Fox, it's May 14th, 1987. And uh, super powered teen Zenith, an aging super powered uh, model, Ruby Fox, are trying to recruit super powered fat drunk Shadwell Reese. I guess uh, the best way to really do that is just to be a huge asshole. I mean, it seems yes. to be working. He's also known as the Red Dragon, and they need his help to fight a resurrected Nazi Superman. <laughs> After throwing out Reese's, Reese's booth, a booze, we begin with a superpower training montage, which I always appreciate. Man, throw a rock at him, and then he like punches the rock. They like have him set a candle on fire. Yeah, he's got pyrokinetic abilities. So, like they say, like he had a party trick back in the day of being able oh, to yeah, light a cigarette, a cigarette from across the room. So now they're doing one of these Yoda, like you must learn control kind of situations. Of like, Jeez. first he tries to uh, light a candle and it explodes in Zenith's hand, but then later he is able to just light a match like perfectly. Hmm. He has, you control. know, yeah. There's also a cool, a cool moment where. Um, he and Ruby create a cloud and then turn into a thunderstorm, which I thought was yeah. pretty neat. Like, just the writing there was very fun. And by May 18th, Shadwell is sober and using his superpowers pretty well, so it's time to head out. Though, Shadwell does take a moment and heads to the bathroom and pulls a flask out of the toilet tank. <gasps> but then he looks at himself in the mirror and pours the booze down the drain. Instead, he, he grabs his sweet superhero jacket and helmet. Let's go! And, uh, you know, this is feeling pretty superhero-y. Kind of yeah, appreciating just, that. Totally. This is super duper, like, a moment. Like, you definitely have I, I have these moments in superhero movies and stuff like that. Yeah, for exactly. Sure. You know, training montage. Then, like, ah, oh, yes. Like, I've been rejuvenated by my will for justice or whatever else, you know? Mm. 
So Peter St. John, the former Mandala, is heading out um, is, is heading out of his office and is, is heading to his office in Parliament when he smells something odd. And Master Man is there. Oh man, and he totally doesn't seem surprised. No, he has incinerated St. John's secretary, though. And yeah, yeah it definitely seems dick. like St. John might be a member of the Order of the Black Sun, this sort of a cult group that uh, resurrected Master Man and stuff like that, which is no good. I feel like it's no spoiler in saying that <clears throat> there was some pretty big obviousness on his flipping, just like sewed here. It's pretty on the nose that he's not super happy about the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we only have a limited time to do this. You know, we don't oh, have like course. a couple hours to sort of show him mold it over. You know? <laughs> um, Just kind of like eat a little bit of lunch while thinking like, I don't know if this is my thing. Yeah. Like, do I really want to do I really want to be allies with a guy with a literal swastika on his shirt? You know, it's but a it, little on the nose. It does mean that he would eventually become the prime minister. I mean, really. Or something like Master Man basically says that St. John might have a role in the world to come after he's done destroying it, basically. (laughs) Yeah, which is like, I feel like that could just be anything. It could be your new job is now target practice dummy, you know, and it's like, like, okay. Yeah, I feel like St. John has picked that up, actually. Like, Mm. this is just not good management of underlings by by Master Man, (laughs) if that makes sense. I mean... You know, it fits his, like, eldritch horror character stuck in the body of a super Nazi. No, it's definitely the problem of being, like, an elder one with superpowers and stuff that you sort of are not very good at dealing with underlings. But you gotta, (laughs) you know, you gotta, like, go to a management course or something just because it's one thing to call (laughs) your enemies puny mortals, but calling your friends puny mortals as well, like your allies... Not smart. You know, it's yeah. not It's not a good move. He's just creating distance on both fronts. And quite honestly, I don't know if he has the business acumen to really nail down this whole world domination thing. Indeed. Who moved my hyper cheese, buddy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's May 18th and Ruby Fox is just learning about Zenith's biorhythm situation, which is basically that he'll lose a bunch of his powers on the 24th. But that just means they have to act, act fast. Such an odd power like weakness it's like still odd to me yeah i mean it's sort of i don't know like if you believe that sort of your your like inner blah blahs move up and down with the days that it would make sense superpowers would as well you know it'd be like a inner blah blah (laughs) i don't know a lot about biorhythms man that's all i can tell you uh (laughs) it's the little tiny like donka conga gameplay session that's going inside of your body all the time donkey conga Donkey Konga. What a bunch of silly dudes. Um, (laughs) The guys prepare to fly to London, but Ruby's taking the train because flying takes a lot of power out of her. Um, As Red Dragon and Zenith fly, Red explains that he started drinking real heavily when the rest of Cloud Nine came up with the plan. Oh, God. I hated this so much because all it did was just say some... Bad things happened, but doesn't tell us what at all. God it's damn it. True. It's true. It's very, very content-free, actually. Especially, be, and, and, and it seems even less, to have even less weight as we, as a, as a Red Dragon's explaining it over images of Ruby arriving in London and seeing the world full of chaos. Yeah, what, I what, just... I understand it to be, Fox, is that basically Cloud9 decided to pretend that they all lost their powers, but never actually did. 
just to kind of because they kind of kept waiting for the age of Aquarius to come and never actually did. And finally, it's like, let's just like get out of the spotlight. You know, is, is that what is that what that's all about? They were just like, I OK, so let's let me be very clear with what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. People like I didn't get the idea, at least from people I've talked to who were who were had hippie inclinations that they were waiting for like the dawn of a new time or era at a specific point. I mean, I, I mean, one, this is a very much a like, uh, like young guy in 1987 talking about what hippies thought, you know? Uh, So like as much as I shout about dirty hippies, like I can, I I recognize that people did believe things and like, you know, it might not be well remembered by, by stuff. (laughs) I was just confused by it. I was like, it just seemed like an odd, yeah. I, I can get behind it. <laughs> I guess. I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean, that's on the one hand, but like on the other hand, I could see being much more convinced that something big was going to happen if you are actually a super powered individual and you're sort of waiting for some next stage of life to come that you yourself are a herald of. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. 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 Like, yeah. 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 It's, it's like all bets are off when someone can literally fly about that kind of thing is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Like how it's long kinda, until the next cool fly person, right? Right. Or like it's kind of like I've had like conversations about like why there's no atheists in D&D campaigns in like D&D world settings. And mostly oh. it's because like when you call to a god and they bring someone back to life as just sort of like your day to day, you know? Yeah, like, it's not like, like, uh, it's not once like a god. Yeah, once a god has a, has a fixed your broken arm, you know, when you're a kid, like, it's harder to not believe in um, in deities or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you really anyway. got to go out of your way to do that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Means everybody's um, got the goddamn upper hand. I never thought of it that way. Mm. So, um, anyway, now things are coming back to light and Ruby realizes she's in trouble as she runs out of Westminster Station and straight into Master Man in the middle of destroying London. And there's, you know, they're fighting around a double-decker while uh, Mr. Guy looks on. Peter St. John, yeah. There we go, Rain Peter St. John. I was trying to remember his name. Mandala. Mandala. Mandala, yeah. Rain, fire, and thunder come from the sky as Master Man and Ruby Fox exchange eye beams and lightning blasts. Meanwhile, a police officer grabs Peter St. John and says it's time to evacuate. St. John, John realizes it's, Ruby's, it's Ruby fighting down there and tries to tell the cops to leave him alone. Like, I used to be Mandala. I know that. I know all this stuff. And the cop's like, hey, you aren't Mandala anymore, buddy. You don't got any power. So we got to <laughs> go. Ruby slams a double-decker bus into Master Man, and apparently the army has been alerted. Reese and Zenith arrive it to find London in flame, and Reese fl- flies down to get stuck in as Ruby gets a massive punch to the face. Oh, God, and then a boot. Yeah, Master Man starts to monologue, which is very much his move, when Red <laughs> Dragon tackles him from behind, sending him flying. Yeah, that doesn't, uh, it doesn't work out super hot for him in a moment. Nah, um, Red Dragon pulls up a big boulder over his head and is about to throw it, but then starts to monologue himself. So Master Man zaps him with the eye beams. Oh, no. And like, you know, I didn't think they were going to show much. I figured he was just done. Nope. Full frontal look at his burned charred skull as I throw his body back towards you. Yeah, he's Master Man's very much just burned like the uh, other like uh, uh. Red Dragon's face off, uh, clear down to the skull, and he tosses him aside. Who's next? Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty fucked up, man. 
the dead litter the streets and the news is covering the showdown. There's like I want to say, Fox, like I'm seeing a lot of similarity here um, to this big scene in Alan Moore's Miracle Man comics or a mm. Marvel Man comics. I haven't seen them. Oh, they're real good. Um, he he did them during like Warrior and stuff a couple years ago. So it's sort of a precursor to Watchmen and a whole different thing. Cool. But it's sort of a of a of a realistic take on a Shazam and Captain Marvel, basically. Ooh. Like, and it's an idea of like you know, there's a lot going on with it. But one part of it is, um, they show down with this um super being. Who has destroyed London and very much in destroying London has gone real insane about it and kind of like, you know, gone to like, gone to the same realm as like a kid pulling the wings off of flies. But like, if, if that kid had the power of a god and was doing it with, with people, you know what I mean? That is like, awesome. It's real good. Like, um, sounds great. The, I forget if there's, if they've gone back in print yet, but they're definitely worth checking out for sure. All right. Um, like it's it for me it's really the first shot across the bow of like hey maybe these superheroes are actually bullshit um thing that you kind of get in the 80s you know? <laughs> yeah yeah like you kind of get a sense of that for master man here but it's a, a lot of it's way more off screen yeah than, like uh than in a miracle man but anyway um, instead, Master Man stands over Ruby, again monologuing until Zenith shows up and headbutts him. Yeah, pretty good move, man. Seems to be completely unfazed as he then throws him into, like, a, I don't know, water? Well, first he kicks him in the balls, for, for reference. <laughs> and then he picks him up and basically throws him through a bridge. Yeah, you know, very like like sorted, you know. Yeah. Um, at least until Masterman comes back up and punches Zenith straight out of his jacket and into the face of Big Ben. So things immediately at this point, I don't know if anyone's really caught on, have gone full Dragon Ball. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we're getting real awesome here, buddy. Um, <laughs> um, Eddie's Z- Zenith's agent is talking to the press as Zenith himself falls to earth we see him like he's bleeding and stuff and he's kind Ooh. of crawling toward Eddie like help me Eddie as uh, Master Man kind of walks up behind him looking fine Ugh. as he does this though of course Master Man does his thing talking about soul, soul eating how Master Man's leader will inhabit Zenith's body and they'll breed a race of superhuman gods to prepare wow. the earth for the morning of the black sun and all that stuff when Jesus. a voice rings out leave the boy alone and we oh, see shit. floating in air that mandala is here in full effect yeah I still don't know what he does totally curious about what it does we'll definitely see next time next time on zenith fixing to die he's he got all he's got all mystic goopy definitely got some mystic goops going on here <laughs> i should mention also that um all of the next times for zenith i haven't been reading them or anything but all of them have been like song lyrics or titles and stuff so like this one uh fixing to die is a song by book of white popularized by bob dylan a lot of them are huh. sort of like 60s era like songs and stuff like that Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a little side thing. Anyway. Oh, neat. <laughs> Speaking of little side things that I'm less excited about, Fox. Uh, yeah. 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 Thrill 2, Universal Soldier. I mean, at least, like, I mean, it's over, right? This is yep. it being over? 
pretty much. Wow. Script about Alan McKenzie, art about Will Simpson, letter about John Aldrich is the Aldrich Three. Um, ugh. So, uh, stuck-up pinstripe wearer Mr. Iger quotes much ado about nothing as the CEO cancels a meeting with what is clearly <laughs> the Universal Soldier's wife. Meanwhile, the Unisol is still in Miyamoto Musashi mode and beating dudes up with a, with a, a wooden sword when the leader of this warband agrees to take him to the Man of Science. Apparently where they are, it's snowing, and Musashi and the leader cross swords in the whirling snows, which is still pretty awesome. Um, but Musashi totally takes him out. You know, spoken versus sword kind of situation. But when he gets to Dr. Hellstrom, the man of science, he's chained up like an animal and has scars on his forehead showing that he's been completely lobotomized. And I'm guessing, I mean, I know that they've been saying this for a while, but I've completely forgotten as to why they want this guy. What is the point? Um, I, mean, I guess he, like, it doesn't discovered, matter. It doesn't matter, but he discovered the secret <laughs> of human cloning. Okay. So, I mean, he's very much just kind of a MacGuffin, basically. Well, to yeah. use a Fox preferred word here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like but, um, I know you do, buddy. Uh, but so the doctor very much can't help them, give them the information they need. So, you know, whatever. And they just leave, decide to leave the Universal Soldier there, too, because who cares? Yeah, look, look at us not um, give a shit about this. And the only yeah. question I have for you, man, is was it worse than Angel? Mm. We'll deal with his wife later because they're evil boardroom dudes. The end of Universal Soldier. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? Um, I mean, Universal Soldier will return uh, with a part two in March of 1990. It'll oh. be a little different then, and there's going to be different stuff about it, you know. Well, um, I'll have totally remembered it as soon as we get there and be like, wow, it's that one really great thing that I read. Much like I can't really express to you why I don't like Angel. I just go into like a fugue state and remember a man with microchips for an arm and that he could just do all the things. Yeah, he was a plane, kind of. Yeah, he like was he kind had, of a plane. He had a plane computer in his arm. He had microchip for an arm and he had like basically he had been he had been bitten by a radioactive plane. Kind <laughs> of, you know. <laughs> I mean, at least that one, from what I remember, there was a person named Angel, and I could tell you his superpowers. This guy has, like, a a story-based microchip, maybe? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'll say that, like, uh, we talked about this last episode, but yeah. I really feel like the boardroom scenes really weigh down Universal Soldier, especially because there's no, like, um, satisfying conclusion to the to it. Like, yeah. it might have been one thing if, like, it had ended with, um, like, the CEO being deposed and Iger taking over or something like that. Like, yeah. that could have been something. But as it is, it just really marks it out as, like, oh, like, we had this idea for a story, but we only had, like, three <laughs> issues for it. So, to spread it out to six, we had to a add two pages per issue of just sort of, <laughs> like, like, garbage. Filler. Yeah, boardroom guys faffing about like because especially because the boardroom scenes are in these huge are in really big panels. They're like six six panels per yeah. page, which is a ton. And there are a lot of like sort of decompress and, and it's got a lot of decompressed storytelling as well. Like sort of panels where nobody says something or someone only says <laughs> one word bubble, so it just sort of <laughs> hangs in the air like that. Yep, and like it's just stuff that um 
in a normal comic might be storytelling, but man, in like the fast paced <laughs> storytelling of 2000 AD, it really just feels like we need to fill. Like this is the like uh, like two two point five spacing 14 point font of um, 2008 comics you, you know? just gotta bump it up a little make sure no one really notices and you can get away with fucking murder in this comic book like i know what 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 a paper typed in courier new means buddy get out of here you know <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure if our english listeners will get our my, my uh, font jokes but i don't care it's very I mean, important I, to me. I, I understood it. <laughs> I mean, there's if there's anything that I abhor, it's when anyone has asked me to write 10 pages about anything. Like, no one wants to read 10 pages of what I think about anything. Oh, man. As someone who writes 8 to 10 pages of recap for this podcast every episode, I hate to think what, what you do in my situation. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, it's called winging. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And Which is speaking of things. Which makes for a worse show. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's got its ups and downs, you know. And uh, speaking of things that are deeply disturbing, Fox. Um, thrill free freaks. That's a little weird. It's a weird. It's a weird comic. I like. I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm like a closet, like huge Peter Milligan fan. So I kind of like this. Uh, <laughs> I like the story I, here. I will and say, Higgins has fun art. Too. I I did. I did not hate this. This kept I like me- it. As, it's weird. That's what's good yeah. about it. <laughs> well, I like the design for the aliens and that it really it really sticks really close to the plot of like a 1950s mm-hmm. alien movie, basically. Yes. Just with the human as the alien. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so scripter by Peter Milligan, art by John Higgins, letter by Jack Potter. Uh, Carl, Wer- Carl Wolf, jerk about town, has escaped from snubbing a perfectly nice lady to being abducted by some three stalk-eyed aliens with one nice mouth and one big angry mouth, <laughs> as well as various antenna. Um, we meet two of them. Dr. Kilgo, clearly a kindly old scientist, complete with that, like, uh, just hair around the side of the head, like old guy <laughs> pattern baldness yeah. fringing kind of thing. And General Stunnel, who's a jerk prone to hilarious English malpropisms. Woo! And then clearly very into just torturing and and dissecting this man. He's the bad one. Pretty clearly. You know, listen, if if the general isn't the villain, then I don't know what kind of science fiction movie it is. You you gotta think about (laughs) it. Um, They take him to a military base on their planet called Kakak. And we learn that in many ways humanity is ahead of them and of these aliens in technology, especially in terms of like warfare and military. They want that info, so Stunnel demands that Wolf draw up some plans for a thermonuclear bomb. Oh, well, Wolf, that's, yeah, that's easy. He does this about as well as I would, and suggests that you fill an empty bomb with mushroom atoms. I- then we, cut, <laughs> then we, we, we we break for Judge Dredd. Um, coming back, the bomb finishes up when basically you kind of light the fuse and then all the mushroom atoms grow up into a giant mushroom cloud and blow everything up. And Stunnel is not amused. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, I love how the doctor's just like, oh, he's probably just still in shock or, or whatever. Yeah. To keep Carl company, Dr. Kilgo brings a Flobert named Cuddle to his cell. Or maybe Flaubert, I don't know. Um, but it's kind of a of a bug kangaroo, I guess. It's, it's cute. It's a. It looks a little too fleshy. 
if you know what mm. I mean. Yeah, that's what it throws it, it off it, for me a little bit. Yeah, it, it doesn't really have a have a carapace, I guess. But it, you know, it's kind of skizzy. I want to say a yeah, little it's, bit. It's skizzish. I would but just I say prefer that's... it if it had some hair. You know. Yeah, that's kind of the kangaroo aspect, I guess. Um, mm. But so, um, meanwhile, Stunnel plans just kill and dissect Carl's brain because apparently he's got some kind of awesome mental power, but he's completely unaware of it. Okay. One way or another, his power doesn't stop Cuddles from spitting a giant, a giant glob onto his face. Which I can only understand as meaning love or uh, that's its butt. Yeah, glob me. Um, like all kindly doctors in science fiction movies, Kilgo, sorry, Kilgo has a beautiful daughter named Kilquo. <laughs> well, you know, beautiful, we'll put in very heavy quotation marks here. I mean, you know, I, it's in the three eye stalks of the beholder, buddy. Wow. Oh, <laughs> uh. She's totally terrified of Carl's gross face, though Carl, of course, thinks it's going pretty well, because one way or another, a dame's a dame, if you get what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, God. Meanwhile, Carl gets quizzed about the, about a number of scientific questions and doesn't know nothing. Is light a beam or a wave? Pass. <laughs> yeah. In the end, he's judged mentally subnormal, and the only way he can help science is the old-fashioned way, namely by being dissected and pickled. Uh, and if any kindly old scientist is worth his salt, it's time for a breakout job. Yep. Carl's lamenting his fate as Cuddles once again gloops him in the face when Dr. Kilgo appears and says he's going to save Carl from dissection. He nice. Plans to, yeah, good times. He plans to take Carl to um, a secret retreat called Tor that only he and his daughter Kilquo know. Well, but it's a good thing can, we got all this plot out of the way because you're going to get a knife into the back, motherfucker. Going real fast. General Stunnel appears and stabs Kilgo. <laughs> Stunnel says he'll blame Carl for the murder So Carl socks him in the face And run, runs Cuddles coming along with him Soon the news is all over the TV And people are warned about this two-eyed freak Wandering the city Oh my god Time to send out like our masked guys With fucking yeah. like, It's like giant they, clubs And they wear cool And they wear cool helmets To, pre- to protect oh, their eye stalks In combat situations <laughs> Duh! It's really, it's really good. The whole yeah. getup is really good. Carl manages to escape these soldiers when Cuddles blows a spit balloon that lets them fly to safety. Great. Me- <laughs> Meanwhile, Kilquo is sad about her do- her father's death and thinks that Carl is an evil alien. She identifies his father's body and gets ogled by some troops and drives home in Which, tears. Like, come on, guys. I mean, as a 1950s like um, horror movie, this feels very in keeping. Like you still mm. kind of say, "Like, oh, look at that dame! Like she's quite a skirt. Too bad she's got brains too." You know, oh. <laughs> uh-huh. she's all alone, Fox, except for Carl's and Cuddles in her back seat. Oh, that's not terrifying at all. Don't Definitely. make make her aware that you're in there until you fucking break into her house. Stalking's not cool on any species, Fox. Stalking's um, not cool even when maybe they're going to help you survive. Yeah, it's true. A new narrator takes over now, talking about the nature of intelligence and the overall ridiculousness of life. It's soon revealed to be Cuddles. He's oh. actually super smart. And just <laughs> because he's so smart, enjoys these, spe- these simple pleasures of glooping on Carl's face. Wow. <laughs> so he's also kind of a dick. 
Yeah. Let me point out here also, Fox, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, Carl has lost all hair products and he's now rocking a truly fearsome mullet right now. It's really it's... excellent. <laughs> oh, God. It's all party everywhere. Yeah. Listen, it's party in the front and the rear, man. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's a little <laughs> intense. The man doesn't even have a bandana. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of side action. Like it's kind of like a guile from Street Fighter, yeah, kind of combined with a mullet. I guess I, I feel like that's it's pretty guileish. Guile it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What's important though is you that Sonic Kill Quo blew is me hurt. away with that joke. Do my best, man. Hurricane kick, but uh, oh. Kill Quo has heard them, and Carl reveals himself. And she just starts punching him and almost stabs him with some kind of pointy table decoration. Yeah, decoration. man. Nah, dude, it's, I mean, it's the table stake. You always have your table stake on yeah. your table. Luckily, Carl brings up Tor, their secret retreat, and this convinces Kilquo of his innocence. Cuddles then info dumps about his people's past. Great. Basically, they got so smart and be- all became a race of philosophers and realized that life was just a big joke and so stopped communicating. And, you know, everybody's such a big freak, you might as well live as ridiculously as possible. And so they became pets. Oh, my God. I'll buy it, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess, cl- <laughs> like, that's some deep-rooted sexual shit there, man. Live it up, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Kilquo and Carl start to scheme, but Cuddles knows that General Stunnel's on the way. Carl's exhausted, but as he rests, the pointy table decoration starts to float. But how? <sighs> no times for answers as the General's car bursts through the wall. Oh, man. <laughs> in sort of a... Uh, in a uh, um... Oh, God, what was that juice? Oh, a, a Kool-Aid man. Yeah, you know? the Kool-Aid oh, guy. Oh, yeah. It definitely yeah, has that, that kind of effect where no one gets hurt, but there is just a giant hole in your house. <laughs> and we're very much in like, hey, this story's six issues long. We got to keep this moving. I'm <laughs> pretty know? impressed by it. A lot is getting done. Definitely. As the goons advance on them, a heavy table floats into the air and flies into, the, into them, taking them out. Is Carl learning some kind of power? Uh, no worries, because the trio runs to their car and heads out to Tora, discussing Carl's new powers. Mind you, when he said that, oh, I'm feeling a little bit weird, he, like, perfectly vaults over the top of the car. Like, yeah, but that's just, just one-handed. Fuck, man, I just, can't... There is no way in hell, even in my prime, I could have done that. Go from the fucking one side to the other on just one hand. On a see, jump. I feel like that's... That's because you've never been in love with an alien babe in some kind of movie, Fox. You oh, know. that's, I mean, maybe. Maybe the gravity's just nicer there. This feels very, like, stereotypical, like, you know, girl falls in love with an alien and then they've got to run and stuff like that, you know. Well, it's, 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 it's more of these sort of throwbacks to, like, teenage alien movies and stuff of, of the 50s. Agree. I mean, they almost do a smooch. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, they, they bond over Carl's new powers, Kilquo's desire to get Carl home, and Carl's desire to avenge Dr. Kilgo. They almost kiss, and then Cuddle says a weird word, and they head out on the highway. Cuddle says one thing in English. Ridiculous. As t- um, at Tora, it seems Carl has developed telekinesis. He's able to move stuff with his mind. Kilquo actually knows the word for this, but Carl doesn't. They see because, you know, these foreigners know more about the language uh, than native speakers. I mean, that's sometimes. Yeah. 
uh, Carl and and Kilquo have a discussion about it. Yeah, about, um, sorry. Uh, they see a freak flash on TV. General oh. Stunnel calling for the capture of Wolf, implying that this he will eat your children. This is the best because then it immediately switches to somehow everybody just up in arms and putting a a fake doll of him on, on a noose and like hoisting him up while they brandish weapons. Like holy yeah. shit, these I'm guys always- are just ready for blood. As a 1950s town person, Fox, I'm always ready to hang, thing, hang things in effigy. You know, oh I'm, it's, I'm about that life. Um, uh, the, uh, Carl and Kilquo have a discussion about the difference between libel and slander. But Carl has a bit of a revelation because he realizes that cacaques are just like humans, small-minded and afraid of things that are different. There's no way to clear Carl's name until suddenly Cuddles starts spinning and then replays <laughs> verbatim. Stunnels monologue after killing Kilgo. Um, he's got a form of psychometry or something like that. But uh, Cuddles will help him and reveals he's not a dumb animal. Instead, um, you know, yeah, again, he'll help them take down Stunnel, but they got to get Carl home before they do. So they drive back to the portal using a secret passage that only the uh, doctor and Kilgo knew of. But before Carl can try to use his powers to activate the controls on the portal, General Stunnel and his goons reveal themselves. They've been waiting there the whole time. Oh, man, we totally plot devised you to be here. Mm, it's very true. Wolf tries to force push them, but Stunnel gets through and pulls a gun on Wolf. But before he can pull the trigger, knowing the whole time it's dumb and ridiculous, <sighs> Cuddles jumps in front of the gun, sacrificing himself. See, this is the will they, will they, won't they of the uh, Chekhov's gun meets Cuddles, the weird spitting alien. R.I.P. Cuddles. His body flies out and lands on a switch, activating some kind of teleporter, and two figures fade into view. Oh, who could it be? Next time. So what? That's pretty good, man. I don't hate it. I like. I'm sad that Cuddles died. He just yeah. like, but I'm not that sad. <laughs> I guess. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't have put it better just, myself. Yeah. I I just like that it's like clicking along. There's sort of jokes. Yeah. I like all these references to like you know again sort of old school alien movies and stuff. Um, it feels like like a good little satire of those. And you know John Higgins is great on art. And there's just a lot of little funny things that uh, Higgins gets in the writing and stuff like that. Yeah, just a fun little mini thrill, buddy. It's good time. Well, I mean, that's the thing. If you only have so many pages, you know, don't uh, don't just fill it up with boxes. Keep that shit moving. Exactly. And speaking of things moving right along, Fox into glory. Oh. It's thrill four, Judge Dread. Yeah, man, I uh, there are so many businesses that you could open in Mega City One. Yeah, <laughs> why? Why would you open the one that probably has, especially if there's a form that, if you don't fill it out properly, gives you bullets for people to shoot? Yeah, you got to be careful. Uh, scripted by John Wagner, Alan Grant, art robot Liam Sharp, Cliff Robinson, and Jim Bakey, letting robot Tom Frank. Sorry, art robot Liam Sharp, Cliff Robinson, Jim Bakey. Yep. Okay. So that said, this is awesome. I mean, I guess yeah. they're just shooting each other. It's just big paintball. Yeah, Fox. We're at the Kill Craze Combat Park, and they got a lot of sweet zones. It's a Wild Westvale, World War Three, and Ro- Roaring Twenties, among others. Can head out there, shoot the hell out of droids, and not get hurt because the guns just fire red paintball pellets. 
Um, mm. We see a bunch of people getting ready to start, including a bunch of jerks from the Oliver North block, who, you know, of course, the uh, Iran got main Iran-Contra player, now president of the NRA, um, and they're mm. heading to World War III as the Western capitalist nations against folks from the Imran Khan block. And I, I th- this was kind of funny because in 1987, Imran Khan was a... Uh, a cricket player, um, a star of like the Pakistani national team. Oh, but now he's literally prime minister of Pakistan. So it's kind of oh, a funny like, yeah. uh, come up as, as time's gone by. Gone by, you know. Um, we also see a whiny kid going to Wild Westville and a married couple headed to, to Roaring Twenties. Everybody gets in place, and it's all very Westworld as things start up. Yeah, no, and uh, much like Westworld, you just kind of have the feeling, well, mostly because it's a Judge Dredd comic, like oh, a lot of these people are going to die. Yeah, in classic Judge Dredd fashion, the first to be killed by <laughs> real bullets is that whiny kid. He gets shot right in the face. Or I they should say classic sh- 2000 AD action, honestly. They um. shoot that child in the face. We don't got no time for no bratty-ass kid who doesn't want to play Jesse. Nope. He, no, he does want to play Jesse, but his, his dad called it, you know. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Anyhow, they've all got real bullets. Everybody's killing each other. Because, like, even when they realize that they've got real bullets, like, everybody's everybody's lost a couple friends already. So now it's, like, you know, like a vengeance time. Yeah, you like killed that. my friends or my brother. I have a gun. Shoot you. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, everybody's shit. going kill Crazy Fox. It's bad times. But Judge Dredd is responding. <laughs> Uh, things get real awesome as Dread calls for riot squads and blasts over the hills of World War Three. Oh, it's so uh, I like it was a pretty sick shot. I love just the giant flying American flag. Yeah, especially yeah, th- this opening color page by Liam Sharp is really amazing. Uh, like all, like like in the other zones, of course, World War Three players soon realize the bullets are real and keep <sighs> fighting even as Dread calls a ceasefire. Jeez. His lawmaster gets shot and Dread gets serious. Yeah. He's going to kill a lot of people. I mean, it's got to happen. You know, he uh, he tosses some gas grenades and blows up a tank, but the troops just pull down their gas masks <laughs> and stuff. And when they keep fighting, Dredd just freaking executes them all. Yep. And now, uh, you know what? I'm not going to deal with every room of this place. Uh, let's get some riot squads in here with some riot foam. Cool those guys uh, yeah, off Dred- real quick. Dredd's not above, like, calling for backup. He knows when a situation requires more dudes. In this case, a couple dozen riot judges just <laughs> slathering the area in riot foam, turning off the gravity in the space war, and just arresting everybody that's killed other people. It's real good. Yeah. Later, Dredd confronts the leader, the uh, the head of Kill Craze, Dave K- Krasmer, and it seems like the whole thing was a, cl- was a clerical <laughs> error. He ordered live ammo by accident instead of dummy ammo. Oh, man. He, prom- <laughs> he promises he'll never do it again. And the judges seem to believe him. But just in case, they give him life. I mean, cheese, dude. Cheese. This is exactly the cheese and crackers I'm talking about. It's horse garbage. It's like you got to be. If there's a yeah. form. And the difference between entering something and not entering something is getting live ammunition. What the fuck? This dude's no Anthony Hopkins. That's all I can say, buddy. Wow. Um, I love you. you. That show's so good. And speaking of things that are pretty good, Fox. (laughs) Oz, part one. Start start of a new new mega epic, buddy. Dude, I am... 
so freaking stoked because by the i mean just the end of this whole thing and also as you just kind of i mean we're gonna get into this later but as yeah. you progress through the city and it's just covered in like chopper mm-hmm. chopper spray paint including his like original like smiley face and all this stuff really totally. I, I just it's a really neat set of uh issues sort of starting starting this big race although i guess totally. it won't start until we next record I mean, we'll you know it's gonna be a while. This uh, j- j- just so you know, folks, this is the this is the first mega epic since City of the Dam, which sort of ended quickly. Jesus, it's gonna which is in like I think like eighty five. I want to say a while. Um, and it's gonna last twenty six progs so about half a year. It's gonna Whoa. be real crazy. Like a lot, like it sort of suffers from a similar problem that a lot of mega, mega epics have. That just because of its massive size there are going to be a lot of artists working on it sort of on and off basically okay but we'll see some big some big players as as, as we go in for sure that's um, awesome yeah this one's a really fun one i just like how much it like just sort of going into it i want to say like oz is cool because it, it gives you some new senses of just the world of judge dread sort of around him um, mm-hmm. Give us some more stuff about um, Chopper and some more stuff about the background of the Justice Department himself in a situation that we probably won't learn about for like two more episodes, basically. Wow, fuck. But there's a lot going on here, both inside the world of Dread and actually outside in the larger world of 2000. That's awesome. Oh, ah, we'll get to so that, we, that as well. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, this is going to take us basically – through 87 into the first part of 88 i'm really excited about it like this is one like you know it there's always these little milestones in 2000 ad that i'm really stoked when you get to them like you're like oh man like we got to, we we got to halo jones you know or like we we uh rogue rogue finally killed off the the traitor general or something <laughs> like that just these i don't know but like these little milestones that i really think is cool that we've achieved you know yeah um and and starting oz is 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 one of those really a- any dread mega epic but this one in particular because I'm, I'm a big chopper fan sort of generally oh um, fucking well, that's good i'm excited i mean the the whole setup for it was very good i feel yeah. like especially as you know we we sort of get a sense of the city as as judge dreads going through it including the totally. the tv broadcast with that like uh God, what is yeah. his name? Newscaster guy. Yeah. Well, let's. Yeah, I. I just want to say one more thing, Fox. You might notice the Oz logo, which is like sort of like Oz Part One or whatever, and mm. it's got Chopper flying through the O in Oz, and the oh. holy bursts through is shaped like Australia. So you know, whatever. Freak out. What? Um, okay. That is. <laughs> I did not notice that at all. Yeah. So Cliff Robinson is on art to start. Um, we start with a big, like, full-color splash page of just sort of Dread and, and, and Chopper facing off. I'm not a huge fan of Dread's helmet because the visors are kind of weird. But otherwise, very fine. Um, like you said, as we start the story, graffiti covers the city. It's all saying, like, Super Surf 10 and Free Chopper, occasional down with the judges kind of rhetoric and stuff as well. We see Dread arrest a lady wall scrawler, and we just learn there's a lot of like pro chopper sentiment because he's like, oh, yeah. no, I got another chopper fan here. It's clearly boiling up. Yeah, we cut to a TV show with world of sports stuff. <laughs> we, we open with a flab lifting, which is sort of lifting a bunch of flat fatties with a pulley competitively. It's, it's pretty very, excellent. <laughs> I 
to, I don't know what to think about it because they they measure it in terms of how much they weigh and uh, how high you get before you drop them. I but feel not like this necessarily is just, yeah. how much time. I feel like it's very similar to like whatever, like a, a American Gladiators, like that show The Rock did, like the, the Titan Games or something. It's yeah. just instead of regular weights, it's using like the oh. fatties you have lying around Mega City <laughs> One. You know, Meh. it's a living. I wonder if they pay those guys to maintain a specific weight. You know, oh, like, I like, mean, like I, one least... guy, like, like like one dude's the fatty version of like a big forty-five plate, and then there's a couple like uh, little kids <laughs> that are like two and a half pounders or something. Anyway. Oh my god, with their little um, tiny belly wheels, that'd be so ooh. cute. <laughs> oh, but then they cut to Super Surf Ten. Oh, man, we're so stoked because guess what? That's right. Australia. Did you know? No, you didn't. But guess what? Now you do. They've totally legalized that crazy surf sport. Yeah, the judges in the Sydney, Melbourne, Conurb have have legalized the super surf. So we'll be going under complete rule of law this time. Uh, the favorite to win, Fox, is Jug McKenzie, who we see eating a rat right, right off Jug. the barbie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Australian for sky surfing. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> he's the local boy in Oz, and he's super arrogant. He's won Super Surf eight and nine, and he's the be- and he's the best sky surfer ever. Way better than that jerk Chopper. I mean, if Chopper's so great, why ain't he here surfing? Because he's under arrest for like eighteen years. A likely excuse, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you're just a member of the fake news media. All out there to try and make people like me to stop telling the truth. What on the telly? Oh no, Fox is going to jail. Sorry, buddy. Oh no. <laughs> anyway, oh, whatever. Sorry. Um, <laughs> there's a yeah. He says uh, Chopper's is hiding from Jug. There's a lot of pro Chopper sentiment out there, though. But we'll probably never see him race. Instead, we cut to Marlon Shakespeare, aka Chopper, in his cell in ISO Block One Eleven, looking he, uh, uh, looking somewhat the same, a little older. Yeah, he's been keeping in shape over the last three yeah, years damn. or so. He imagines himself surfing the Midnight Surfer, riding again, remembering like, you know, Super Surf 7 way back in Prague 429 when he won the whole thing and the city chanted his name. He still dreams of sky surfing when suddenly his cell opens and Dread is there. Oh my God. Why would Dread be there? He's, well, Chopper's being moved to Isoblock 83. Hmm. As part of that move, he gets all of his possessions, including his board. He's being transferred because of the public sentiment. They don't want people, like, you know, doing something stupid to try to break him out or something. But that seems to be working against what they do because as they move him, they got to take him outside where there's a crowd and there's an instant riot. Man, all of this is such a likely story. There are totally undertones for Dread totally doing this. It could be, man. I um, I am I am I am suspect of that. <laughs> the crowd surges, they tackle both Chopper and Dread, and Chopper manages to grab the keys to his cuffs. <laughs> he really needs to work on his like leaving the situation pose. <laughs> He's got a, like, I feel like it's an actual surfer pose. He kind of does this thing where he like, I don't. holds his arms out and his hands flat. Yeah, it's not great. It doesn't, it's not a good look, man. I mean, I guess no one can see you, but, you know. Yeah. Chopper escapes, and he seems like he's headed off to Super Surf 10. 
Yeah, and he seems to be doing okay as he like goes around a bunch of stuff and not getting shot. Yeah, after this, after the story ends in uh, in, in the second to last prog, was a color chopper supporter kit, including like Super Surf ten pennants and a free chopper badge Ooh. and a Sky Surfers do it in the air bumper sticker and stuff like that. Uh, wow. <laughs> Next, uh, let's finish up Dread with Jim Bakey of Skiz fame taking over on art. As Chopper makes good his escape, he's knocking over judges and dodging bullets flying under trucks and stuff like that. The protesters get arrested and Dreads put out and puts out an alert on Chopper. He's buzzing through the Perry Masonettes and cheered on by citizens while being shot at by judges. My, you know, it's it's funny uh, as as he's flying through and going through like this pipe. There's another mm-hmm. pipe being hauled in the background, and it has uh, some graffiti on it that says "Chop the Jug." Thought that was nice. pretty good. Like, there's just like these little, these little things all around the city. Nudge the judge, things like that. That like yeah. I don't know, makes the whole thing yeah. feel alive. No, and I like your 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 comment that like having all this graffiti and stuff is a nice callback to how we originally met Chopper as like exactly. this King Wall Scrawler and stuff like that. I think that's a good. Need to keep in mind for sure. Dude, yeah, Chopper needs to find a place to run and hide. Later at the Tommy McCard something block, a Jew gets a tap <laughs> at the window. I, I couldn't see the bottom half of the name, so I don't know who it is, Fox. But no, it's at all the good. window is Chopper. He's meeting his old buddy Flip, and Flip has uh, gives basically gives Chopper the lowdown on Super Surf Ten and Jug McKenzie. And apparently, he uh, Chopper's mom gave Flip all of Chopper's old uh, surfing gear and stuff. So he's able to like put on like a, a, a sur- like a surf suit, get some extra power cells for his board and stuff like that. You know, just uh, just like for that beginner or what is it the the starter quest? Here's here's your trunk of goods. Be on thy way, sir. Dangerous to go alone. Take this. Mm-hmm. A backpack there's, full of power cells. Seems right, and some sandwiches. Uh, there, there's no place that's safe for him in the city, Fox. He's got, but there is a clear place. He should be going, if you take my meaning. Oh, where should... I mean, where is that? Is it in Austria? Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Flip says you got to be crazy to take a hoverboard to Oz, but Chopper feels like he doesn't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, he really doesn't. He's got to get the fuck out of there. That's his only mode of transportation. Seriously, with a few sandwiches in his pack and some fuel cells, Chopper heads off. He probably won't make it, but by gosh, he's going to try. Chopper for Oz! Aw, fuck yeah. Starting off good, man. Excited. I'm pretty soaked about it too, man. Next time on Judge Dredd, to see the wizard. Oh. The wonderful wizard of Oz. They're just going to make a bunch of Oz-based jokes. I mean... I'm not gonna say we're not gonna get a lot of Oz-based jokes or like just down on un- like da- down under references, yeah, things like that. That's fine. It's gonna, uh, you know, I'm, it's, I'm, it's what we've that got, does not you know. that does not dull my excitement. <laughs> I'm just you know, like, eight, uh, Oz jokes are gonna get old. Like, yeah, man, 87's like Pete Crocodile Dundee, you know. Ooh. Like we're, we're in a very, like, uh, Australia-focused period in, in world history, you know what All I mean? All right, I'm into that. Yeah. And speaking of things you might not be into, it's I'm non-thrills, not. covers, and nerve center. I'm not into it. I mean, I really like, for as weird as freaks can be, I mean, the cover that they had for the, the first prog is fucking fantastic. 
Definitely. Yeah, Prague 543. I don't think I'm in Muswell Hill anymore. And we're far from home in this gorgeous John Higgins cover of like the airships and freaks that don't really feature into the story that much, but are mm-hmm. really neat. And this kind of big spaceship flying across the night sky is a really neat cover for sure. Um, in the Nerve Center, Tharg announces the end of the current Strontium Dog story and a real Ghostbusters contest. Oh. Letters include <laughs> a, a new 2000 AD fan, requests for more Bradley, and an identification of Iot Satat in Zenith as being one as or as being a being from the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. Also, Tharg gives a confidential Krilltro Thargo to Kevin Wig of Cambridge. Mysterious. Ooh. Mid-Prog, there's a contest to win a video of the real Ghostbusters, like a like cartoon. And I should say, no, <sighs> Fox, unlike earlier, there's no request. You know, you, you, there's no place to request what kind of video you want. Like, by 87, VHS has won the war. Yeah. Oh, that's Okay. Okay. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Also interesting is that I always think about when I hear the real Ghostbusters, I always think of the fake Ghostbusters cartoon. Well, so, 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 the yeah. Ghostbusters was originally a black and white TV show starring a man who dressed up in a monkey costume and That's two right. brothers who had a ghostbusting business. Yeah. Uh, through various acquisitions, Hanna-Barbera acquired that same tv show or, or had the rights in some way and so when the ghostbusters the movie came out and was amazing and blew people's minds uh and made them laugh forever um until forever yeah the, the other guys took that license and got first to market with yeah, a cartoon called ghostbusters which, based not on a movie but on the old tv show exactly <laughs> Now, mind you, there's not a lot of episodes of that thing, but I do suggest people watch it for two reasons. Number one, I'm not okay. You know, it's following the same. We're trying to sell uh, toys and stuff, toys yeah, and things like that, right? But these are the same dudes who made Brave Star, one of the best looking fucking like cartoons that never made it. This sort of falls into that camp. If you like yourself some interesting looking villains, you will not really see any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that the uh, in the end the uh, like the second or that they had to call the cartoon the real Ghostbusters. You I know? mean, kids knew after the first episode if it was or was not oh, the yeah. Ghostbusters. I mean, I just think that's so funny that they just address it like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's all you needed um, to not to not uh, be infringing, I guess. Yeah, one's got. Well, I mean. Like, from, from what I've read, the Ghostbusters movie actually did have to license the name from the TV show, but they did it with one of those Hollywood accounting things where, like, oh, like, you'll get, like, 10% of the of the net profits, and the movie didn't actually have any net profits because of, like, you know, uh, um, various accounting things and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, this prog ends with a back cover pinup of Nemesis in all his glory in full color by John uh-huh. Hinklinton. He's looking, I mean, you know, it's a little sexy, but he's got a very chicken look to him right now. The neck, the pecs, the crazy yeah. body pose. It's We're getting really... weird with Nemesis the Warlock. Yeah. I mean, what is your fursona? Am I right? He's got that big sword. He's got that undershirt. It's a weird situation. It's sending me a lot of mixed messages here. Listen, you're going to have thoughts about Nemesis and about Nemesis and purity. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Prog 544, Masterman, a blast from the past. Steve Dillon doing cool? another Zenith cover, this time of Ruby Fox looking on as Masterman destroys London. 
I can't approve of Dylan doing these covers of other people's stories, Fox. I just, I, there's something I, about it rubs me the wrong way. It's weird, right? Like it looks yeah. a little off. I mean, well, it's just a different artist doing it yeah. than than Steve Yeo in 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 the Progs, you know. Hmm. In the Nerve Center, Tharg mentions that the Rammy is about to start and to get hype for Oz. It also looks like the improved paper in that they've had since Prague 520 has allowed us to start printing pictures again in the letters pages. Um, as besides Nemesis and the Grandmaster Torquemada on a Torque show, there's also a picture of a hero harness wearing Jack Russell Terrier <laughs> and a picture of someone dressed up like Tharg attacking a parsnip at some sort of local event. Okay. Also, letters comment or compliment the humor of Alabama blimps. And calling out, and and also about the other uh, crown in the Tesco bag from that royal wedding strontium dog story, hmm. and then this prog ends with Tharg welcoming the Oz squad of creator droids back after their trip down under, as Oz is about to start. <laughs> I did. And they actually send them on the trip? Is my question. <laughs> I don't think so. I believe it's just <laughs> a spiritual, a spiritual trip to Australia. Oh, um, how lovely. Yeah, and uh, there's a bunch of creator droids in this picture. Shout out to a Wooly Russell for helping me identify them. From left to right, Fox, it's Jim Bakey, Brendan McCarthy, the guy with the surfboard, Barry Kitson, John Wagner, Alan Grant, Tom Frame, Cliff Robinson, Steve Dillon, the guy in the kangaroo pouch, and Richard Burton being kicked by the Tom Frame droid. Good times. Is to- was Tom Frame just drunk all the time? What is that? <laughs> I really feel like he is. Like, or at least I have not seen was- one where he's not drinking oil. Definitely. I feel like it's definitely like Tom Frame, you know, writes his letters better when he's had a little tipple. I think we can agree. We can all I, empathize with that. I'm starting to love Tom Frame so much more. I feel like I feel like we've always been there. Um, <laughs> we never left. Yeah. Frog 545. The Oz mega epic begins. Free chopper with a Cliff Robinson cover of our initial players. Hmm. In the nerve center, Tharg sets up Oz, and there's a picture of Gilbert and Judge, a, a, a gallery set in, um, of, of, of the Judge Child. Letters include an explanation of Danny Franks' visions on the Golgotha Plain, jokes about how fast letters get printed, questions about Dred, Dred's big boots, and the boys from Devon have been practicing their sky surfing. Hmm. And then this how is that possible? With, I don't know. Don't who who can who can question these Cornwall dudes? Um, the prog ends with a four-page color ad for Manta Force, including oh boy. a comic explaining the uh, premise of the toys. There's no credits for it, but I'm pretty sure it's Ian Kennedy doing the art. Almost every single one of <laughs> the shots with the things in them looks like a fucking toy. Very much just traced over images of toys here and here. You know, I love that. Like the top opens up. Kind of, and turns into a spaceship, and then there's like a door, and then everything inside of it is just a tinier car for you to put people in. Definitely. We're also seeing a lot of mask ads in the progs as well. Just a lot of like... Mask Crusaders! Exactly. The uh, the, the toys of Conrad's youth going on here. Ridiculous. Very, very... I'm very cognizant that I was six years old when these comics are coming out, Fox, and so when there's kid ads, they're very pointed at Conrad specifically. (laughs) Um... You're going to go back in time and get that sweet bluebird uh, Manta Force set? Kind of. Like, you know, if I had if I had more money, I'd do really terrible things on eBay well, based know, on a lot gonna, of, like, let me, let comics me just, I've seen. Uh, yeah. $70. Uh, 
Uh, it's it's the Mantaforce Bluebird Toys 1986 England large spaceship used MS-17. Let me see here. One moment. I mean, that seems right. But listen, like at this point in my life, Fox, I can't be wasting money on just random toys when I've got oh, this Warhammer not... shit to buy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I got to saying... spend this money on real toys. I guess what I'm <laughs> saying is if I bought this for you, gave it mm. to you, you would have a new troop transport for your uh, whatever Marines. Mm. Look that would be the, exciting. What you need to look at is they clearly spent a lot of time thinking about how they were going to take this picture. Uh, and <laughs> and look at the last one. <laughs> all right. We, I, we don't have time for this, Fox. I'm going to do this after the show. All right. We got to go. That's fine. Uh, Prog 546, who knows where evil lurks? Nemesis knows. Torquemada, purity and nemesis. And a terrifying cover by John Hinklinton coming in strong here. Uh, before the nerve center there's an ad for bad company two coming next episode then the yeah. nerve center talks about talks up this new nemesis story there's a picture of mr tharg the strong the mr man and a war zombie then letters ask about the return of the stainless steel rat a tv show where someone p- ripped off a picture of bradley you dirty tracers what and then questions why tharg is always sarcastic about mistakes and compliments about taking a a risk with a superhero story in 2000 AD. Yeah. Later in the project, there's also an ad for Halloween candy from Woolworths, including a candy corn listing as specially imported from America, because uh, I guess that's the culture we're exporting, Fox. This candy corn? God, I'm so sorry to the rest of I'm, the world. If you talk to people like I like I actually talked about this like on Facebook recently, but yeah, like you know, like Halloween's a pretty recent thing in England. Like there's still this is still the huh. rollout of it. You can see in this ad because they say like, don't forget Halloween is October 31st, which I feel like most Americans don't have to be told. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, no, man, that's when you get hack of candy. Yeah, but so they're trying to sell, but. In this ad, they're trying to bring that over to England. These candy companies are like, hey, we got to sell more product. Like, let's move on to another country. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't start in any of the other countries where we wouldn't have to change the name of the packages. I mean, I think that's literally what they're doing. You know, bring it over to England. (laughs) Keep it all the same. I bought a Snickers here the other day, you know. Good times. Yeah. and um, it up. Always. (laughs) And speaking of living it up, Fox. Oh, man. Be it avoiding jinxes or starting fights, we go to Thrill 5, Strontium Dog. God, I just, I, I love Strontium Dog, man. Yeah, man. Script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art robot Colin McNeil and Carlos Escara. Letting robot Mark King and Gordon Robson as Kid Robson. So- man, just sometimes the faces are so weird. <laughs> Yeah, Colin McNeil, I feel like, is not great with faces, I think. Or maybe I'm just just so used to how Ascara does them that the fact that he draws pretty similar to Ascara makes me really feel like it's really different, you know? It's close until you notice that all faces are the same gaunt face, including for women. He just puts Mm -hmm. lipstick on them instead, which is an interesting look, don't get me wrong. But, like, everybody (laughs) looks the same straight up. Yeah, A sorry case! Bounty hunter Johnny Alpha is escorting Tommy Bobs to a shuttle on Mon- at the Monroe's World Spaceport. They're having trouble because Bobs is a huge jinx and everything goes wrong around him. For instance, a conveyor 
uh, uh, luggage conveyor belt just starts blasting luggage everywhere and hits a lady <laughs> right in the face. Then she gets oh. grabbed by a cargo scooper hand and just kind of shakes her around a little bit. Yeah, what the fuck? The pair run to the ship as it takes off. Mission accomplished. Oh, but then suddenly, <laughs> he yeah, as they go, though, real bad. Yeah, there's heavy problems in the ship engine rooms, and Johnny realizes what he's done. With Bob's aboard, this ship is in terrible danger. He runs down to the passenger lounge, grabs Bob's, stuffs the hundred credits he got for escorting him to the spaceport (laughs) in his jacket, and then slams him with a time bomb. (laughs) Bob warps away, and the ship instantly recovers, whereas Bob is warped back into his cell where presumably he'll stay until the whole planet destroys itself around him because of his bad luck. Yeah. I mean, he gives the guy his thousand creds back, at least. Then yeah, that guy I mean, gets hit with a chunk of ceiling. Yeah, Johnny plays fair, you know. But listen, I, you, you don't got to deal with this. You got to borrow this trouble, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, he also didn't sign on to bring that with him, you know? Yeah, he did, signed to deal with criminals, not like crazy supernatural dudes. Exactly. And speaking of criminals... New story, the Rammy. Oh, I really love this. I love that it's all in court, and I love how yeah. open they are the entire time. Like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I want to say, like, you can see a real difference in terms of a framing story with this court scene and the boardroom scenes in Universal Soldier. Is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. You know, how how this like because they're like so basically um yeah we start on the planet uh marabella's in a courtroom where archibald bitten face mcnulty and johnny alpha being arraigned for a bunch of crimes and the trial begins their counts include murder conspiracy assault fraudulent misrepresentation of a sporting event fraud public nuisance and disorderly conduct and they plead not guilty but i mean what i'm trying to say is it's a real difference because there is a sense of urgency here because it's a court case like they're sort of you feel like their lives are on the line you know um and like they're do and they're using it to, to like as a way to set up the story that we're about to see, as opposed to many times in Universal Soldier, where it was more sort of reacting to the story we've just seen or something like that. Well, it's setting up what's going to happen and then seamlessly blending into that action by asking questions about the past, right? It's what makes a good court story when you start in court. So, like, all of that, like, murder, conspiracy to murder, like, all this other stuff, fraudulent misrepresentation of a sporting event, all that shit's going to happen. Right, like exactly. All of it's going to happen in the story, especially as you see, these guys are really not that worried about it as <laughs> Bitten Face just like runs his mouth about absolutely what's going on. Yeah, I mean, having like both these guys, both these stories, like this and Universal Soldier, have kind of this self righteous character. But mm-hmm. as opposed to like a smug, evil CEO, you've got like Bitten Face who's kind of cracking jokes, yeah. drinking from a flask, calling everybody James, stuff like that. You know? <laughs> He's it's, just it's, having it's, a it's good a fun time. Story. It's exactly. like, oh, I'm in court. Like, this will be fun. Not like, fuck everybody. I'm the best. Or I'm Mr. <laughs> CEO, the genius. Shut I will up, say Bob I Iger. love the prosecutor's cyber eye as well. It's pretty oh, dope. I, I mean, if he doesn't make it into at least an uh, um, Phoenix Wright game, you know, I mean, right it's, it's like it's it's got kind of this angular look that makes it look like um, what do I want to say Kano? like 80s. No, like a 1980s, like like deco, like design. Like it looks ah. like the stuff in the background of the opening credits of Saved by the Bell is what I'm trying to say, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> which might be a niche like comparison, but really speaks no, to me. No, I, I, I mean, it's the very 19, like, let's say 1990s yeah. or like 1989. Let's have just like a, a, a pure yellow background with a bunch of complementary color shapes and squiggly lines. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, dude, I it's know like exactly one of those shapes. What you're talking you know? about. <laughs> All right. High five, buddy. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> he uh he so this prosecutor questions Middenface, aka the Tartan Terror, about his job as a search destroy agent and uh, how he came to Marabellus in search of Bobby's, aka Cold Hard Cash. Hey man, it's pretty great here because they have a no extradition policy, which means there's so many delicious dudes to steal. Yeah, he calls everybody James, and Johnny helps out with the lawyering, <laughs> objecting to the prosecutor calling their uh, bounties victims. Because, hey, they're convicted criminals one way or another. Um, anyway, it seems Marabellus is a popular haven for convicts, and Johnny and Middenface arrive on the planet, and they drove to the Paradise Coast, identifying millions in bounties of people around that area. But the coast is a sanctuary zone. They can't go there and collect bounties without running afoul of local law enforcement. So instead, they decide to cook up a plan. And I believe me, it is a brammer. Uh, yes, yeah, so Face's plan was to have a rammy, not a goat, but a gorbel's get together, a big old fight. Hey, uh, man, free- just dig a pit, throw some people inside, do a punching. Well, first you got to sell tickets, of course. So, yeah, but I yeah, mean, a, a free for all, last man standing brawl. The winner gets a million credits, and it's sure to pull out all those criminals out of their hidey holes, either to win the prize themselves or just watch the chaos. The dogs contact a promoter. We see this poster, a grand Rammy on the thirty eighth of October, and even the judge <laughs> thinks it sounds like a pretty cool time. I know that's exactly what I liked about uh, uh, Middenface's response. He's like, "I know, right? Sounds awesome. It'd be awesome, yeah." <laughs> With the promoter, they'll be able to shift through the entries to make sure that the fugitives they're looking for are in for the fight. Um, and ticket sales to see if they'll be in the crowd. It's pretty cool. They basically figure out that everybody is either in the fight or coming to it, except for a dude named the Salamander. But still, they could get about five and a half million credits all told, plus the ticket sales. I mean, hey, you know, that's that's feeling pretty good. It feels like even if uh, someone walked away with that million, we'd, we'd be walking away with money. Exactly. But as they wander the city, they're spotted by a pair of thugs ferris wirt and razors guys that work for a criminal named quasimodo and they've spotted our dudes i i really love how of course they give chase right Right. but the one who does all of the dangerously cool shit is just johnny the man just dives underneath a car speeding towards him to grab onto the shit underneath definitely yeah (laughs) yeah they uh they uh the dogs run after them, and yeah, we there's a, a brief cliffhanger when they run under an alley and a space truck is hurtling towards them. And there is also then a funny part after that where the prosecutor starts building to a crescendo and Johnny yawns. Oh, so he says, this whole right. thing's just trumped up. Like You guys were making a ton of money by letting criminals hide on your Paradise Coast, and we messed that up for you. And now you're just out for vengeance. And the judge is like, hey, like we're not on trial here. You are, jerk. Which is pretty good. It's pretty um, good. But yeah, so um, they get uh, – oh, sorry. Uh, Middenface also agrees that this is a stupid um, court case and drinks from a flask just to <laughs> p- punctuate it. But back to the story. 
Middenface runs away from the truck as Johnny jumps underneath it, grabs an axle, and then pulls himself aboard the cab or the, uh, the back of the truck. He kicks out one of the goons while Middenface shoots a tire on the vehicle, sending it flying into a wall. Middenface goes after the kicked free goons and he comes up with like some wrist knife knife things <laughs> and they get into a fight. Um, the, the, uh, this guy, th- this one's probably razors, I'd imagine, but he cuts off one of Middenface's head lumps. What no! a dick. So Middenface shoots him in the face as you do. I mean, yeah, got to put a crazy dog down, you know? Yeah. Not wanting to deal with the corpses, Johnny just gets the bodies together and hits him with a time bomb, <laughs> sending him into deep space. I mean, and I love how he's just like, do you guys feel anything about doing that? And face is like, like, yeah, yeah, man, I felt pretty bad because uh, we couldn't collect the bounty on this guy. I mean, yeah, it's like just wasted flesh at that point. Twa knives worth 80 thou couldn't claim me bounties. Well, um, <laughs> still, they do have big money coming down the pike, so you just gotta be patient. You get the big fish. That's true. Gotta next time. Yeah, gotta throw a few back. You know how it goes. Next time, the Matt Brinks job. I'm loving this story, man. It's a lot of fun. Just some I wacky mean, hijinks. Isn't it? <sighs> all this stuff. Good strontium dog things. And just. just... Real... So happy they're in the comics still, man. Oh, I, yeah, I, it was just so refreshing to like laugh and, and, and just laugh at a comic for a little while. I feel like it's a real hallmark of when uh, Johnny and Middenface get together is that things get real madcap and silly, you know? Yeah. That's a, great, that's a great part of just like, you know, them having a partnership that ends up feeling different from the one that he had with Wolf or he has with Durham Red, say. That exactly. they just sort of, you know, they all have different tones based on who he's hanging out with. I think that's a cool situation. It's just very well handled, right? Yeah. Great story writing. Totally. Speaking of uh, team-ups, I'm less excited about Fox. Uh, Thrill 6, Bradley. Yeah. Is this like a... I, I feel like I know that you've mentioned this. Is this like a thing? Oh, yeah. It's a thing. Not a huge Bradley guy, I gotta say. Uh, yeah. Uh, Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Simon Harrison, and importantly, to me at least, lettering robot Annie H. Whoa. So, Fox, this is the first time in the prog for letterer Annie ha- uh, uh, Halfacre, who would later be known as Annie Parkhouse when she marries uh, comics writer Steve Parkhouse. And Annie Parkhouse is the current queen of 2000 AD lettering. Whoa. Um, like, she's she's the one who's going to take over for Tom Frame to letter Dread. Um, and she, you know, now letters like maybe two or three things per prog and has done it for like 20 years or something. Holy like that. shit. It's for me, at least it's a huge deal to have her sort of first show up in the comics just because like, you know, it's cool when these long term people show up and start doing work and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. I'm also super stoked because pretty much everything I could find online lists her first time in the comics as prog, uh, Five as a prog five five two, and we're way ahead of that. So this is a space oh, spinner scoop. Oh shit! Space we just blew scoop. you open, Barney. That's right. We're beep, 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 beep. Learning new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> Break out the arrow. It's great, fine, buddy. <laughs> anyway, it's Bradley's birthday, man, and he can have a party, but he can't invite, invite that awful kid, Milton. The party starts. The first guest is Annabella from next door, who's a girl, and she gives him a cuddly, fluffy penguin. This party really just feels like a bad response to DR and Quench. You know what I mean? Agreed. 
The party rolls on until suddenly Milton arrives, listening to some kind of future heavy metal on his headphones. Milton immediately lays waste to the party, and his parents are super bummed. But Annabella knows what to do and swaps out Milton's anthrax tape for one of Richard Claterman, a fancy French pianist. Okay. This music poleaxes Milton, and the party continues as Bradley is respectful of Annabelle, and Milton is carried away by his parents. Bradley will return in Prague 552. Next. Don't like Bradley, buddy. Yeah, I don't, don't either. It's, I mean, it's not even like... Because I think the art's fine. And even the story is fine, right? Like, it's whatever. It's the character design of him. It's like the... He's just like a shit, it seems like. And the people that are his age are shits. But it's not the kind of, like, funny, manic, DR and Quinch sort of romps where they are insane... They're happy they're insane. They're taking you on a ride through the whole thing. This is just like watching a kid kind of be a dick and his weird yeah. alien family. I mean, this might be because I'm like not like, you know, a kid or something. But I definitely empathize with Bradley's parents way more than Bradley. Yeah. Um, and also, I got to say, like, I'm just not a I'm not a huge fan of Simon Harrison's art. Like, I, I want to mm. be and I try to be. But there's still something about it. It just doesn't it doesn't rub me the right way, I guess. And we'll see. I'm there with you. See more as we go, which is unfortunate. I'm trying to do better, but it's hard. It, I, it's it's difficult for me. You listen, know? man, I'm I'm there with you. As soon as I saw this, I was like, oh, this is a really weird like one off. And then you know, I got to the end, and it's like, okay, so it's like its own thing. And then you're like, yeah, it's gonna be like its own thing. <laughs> and so now Definitely. I'm just like, okay, well, we needed a new whipping boy, I guess. Yeah, we're in Bradtown, buddy. Uh, um, <laughs> And that doesn't sound fun. That sounds like being in Chad Town. Mm. And speaking of disturbing new art directions, Fox. Oh. Thrill 7, Nemesis the Warlock. Yeah, it's out there, isn't it? It's a little Definitely. it's a little difficult for me sometimes to just look at their faces. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh script about Pat Mills, art about John Hinklinton, letter about Steve Potter. Here we go. Hinklinton on Nemesis. Things are gonna get gross. But also, just maybe, really cool. Which I think is, you know, like, I mean, I would say that 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 Hinklinton's nemesis, like, getting into it has a degree of difficulty that maybe Brian Talbot's art didn't. I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say. But I do think that there's a lot there, and if you give it a chance, you can get some. You can get a lot from it. You know, I there, agree with this sentiment so far. Like, it is jarring, but it is not poor, and it is very intense. Like they want definitely. you to see all of it. Yeah, I mean, I like this is sort of a conversation, maybe for like I don't know, two or three spinnies from now or something yeah. like that. But I really like Hinklinton when it's one part of the prog, and you just sort of you're you're flipping through so through more conventional art styles, like maybe like Cliff Robinson on Dread or something, or Ascara doing. Um, strontium dog or whatever and then you kind and and, and then you get to these hinklin to nemesis pages and they yeah. feel weird and disturbing and dangerous you know that's that is how this felt <laughs> yeah it's just so gross or or like the close-up they did of torquemada where he's like completely nearly all in shadow and then he just looks eyeless and disgusting yeah like, oh i mean that's very much a defining piece of uh, of uh, of Hinklinton's work. I think it becomes rough when that when 
that this art that that art style sort of spreads to other parts of the comic, you know, mm. just because then it's sort of too much of of something. But that's right. something that we should talk about as we go further in. You know, sure. not really a sure. not really an eighty seven discussion. More I mean, I like it. Discussion. I mean, it was yeah. it was really gross when he pulled his tear off with his thumb and index finger. Absolutely, like that's gross. That's not how so, you make it remove a tear. That means it's all mucusy. Yep. So, <laughs> we start with the evil Torquemada of the future falling apart, apparently because juvenile warlock Thoth is going through history with his pet T-Rex, Satanus, killing Torquemada's previous lives. He's, not good. Yeah, he's been checking this by traveling through time and mystic visions. We sort of saw this at the end of the last uh, Kev O'Neill, Torquemada the God stories, where he saw himself as, like, Hitler and stuff. Um and now he's going all the way back to the original Torquemada of the Spanish Inquisition. And things get real crazy here as we just see Torquemada leading a procession of prisoners through the streets of Toledo, Spain. <laughs> There's some really interesting counterpoints here just as we see, like, Torquemada standing very – he looks very, like, saintly and learned and kind, mm-hmm. like, with his, like, in his facial features and manner of speaking and stuff like that. But he's also, but despite his devotion, he's also clearly the most evil man who's ever lived. We see him, yeah, like, you know, asking witches to, you know, so-called witches to repent when all they did was run from the inquisitors that were going <laughs> after them. Um, yeah, they, we see the accused forced to wear like black dunce caps to like humiliate them, um, and just really like people arguing, you know their ignorance with Torquemada and trying to tell the crowds like, you know, dire warnings, like they can take us, can happen to everybody. And Torquemada just sort of being seemingly like, don't you see, you're just condemning yourself with your evil words, you know, stuff like that. It's It's very incredibly creepy. And looking at his peaceful fucking face, every time he's saying something horrible really makes you feel weird inside. It's real tough, but I do really like it just to, because it is, it's super duper creepy and really like, oh my God, like this sort of, you know, this idea, this inquisition is really terrifying. You know, it's, it's, that it's, is exactly, uh, it's this kind of writing that I read the comic book for, man. It's this very, kind of visuals. very, very Pat Mills stuff here for sure. Mm-hmm. Just this idea of a, of a hyper devout, um, Catholicism teaming up with the state to oppress people and things like that. Terrifying. Um, definitely. We see, again, Torquemada um, handing the accused over to the uh, secular government to keep his hands free of their blood. Um, and an interesting moment where you can confess to your crimes and you'll get the quick death of the garrot instead of the slow death of burning oh, at the stake. God. Um, Hinklinton draws corpses being like charred and burned alive. It's very, it's terrifying. It's horrible. Things are bad, especially as Torquemada looks on it all, like with a kindly and beneficent face. Hmm. In the crowd, two people look on unamused. One of them is Purity Brown of the termite resistance movement. The other hidden by psychic aura is Nemesis the Warlock. Uh, Chicken Man. Next time, if you see El Cid, tell him. <laughs> okay. Early rapper, El Cid, tell him. Anyway, we, we sort of talked about this in the opening, but I'm really excited just to kind of go on with this. There's some really cool stuff. Yeah. Cool imagery. Cool, like, just, like, I love the, um, 
the interplay between, again, um, this Torquemada that does incredibly evil things while thinking himself very holy and good. I think mm. that's a very powerful uh, lesson to talk about and like thing to learn. You know, I mean, so many times in 2000, too many times in 2000 AD, we have these cackling ultra evil um, guys that sort of know they're evil and say that. Like, I mean, like Torquemada himself, honestly, from of the course. two police days, you know. But this, but this uh, past Torquemada that really thinks himself as doing the Lord's work as he condemns the innocent to horrible yeah, death. Just a you just know. a twisted life where you kind of make your horrible work um, fit, as it were. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff to be said here, and like also you know next. We only got one episode of Nemesis this this episode, or one one section of Nemesis this episode. So I'm really excited for a full month and just really give Hinklinton a chance to kind of like like stretch out and get his freak on. Basically, oh hell Very yeah, excited about that. Totally. All right. And speaking of things about not getting our freak on, Fox. <gasps> Thrill eight, future shocks. Uh, just some all... quick ones here. Yeah, I exactly. Feel like it's nice as we sort of. Uh, sprung to get ready for um, Oz and Nemesis and stuff. Yeah, this is kind um, of the last of of it, I think, or it feels yeah. like. Uh, first story: Letter to Ernie, script robot when we a check. Letting um, art robot Mark Farmer, letter about Tom Frame. A girl writes a letter to someone named Ernie, thanking him for the trip to the seaside. Um, the girl, her parents, and a dog sort of arrive at sunrise and frolic in the waves, enjoy the outdoors and all that stuff. And as the sun sets, they leave the beach. The dog is put in a cryo cradle. <sighs> they put on their heavy clothes and walk home from the beach zone eco dome in like a dark dystopian street surrounded by armed guards. What the fuck? The girl cries and, c- and cuddles a, a, to- a, a stuffed animal. She says she'll tell her, gr- her grandchildren of the day she went to the beach when the electronic random number indicator equipment, a.k.a. Ernie, sent her family on a holiday. Okay. You know, this Pretty is a bleak. sad little two-pager. I, but I yeah. liked it. I, I liked it firmly because there wasn't just a fucking joke at the end. I mean, there was yeah. kind of the pun in it but like you know it was just sort of just terrifyingly sad yeah and i i really like the use of the uh, two-page format i guess you just have one page that's this girl sort of playing in the ocean and stuff and then the next page sort of showing this like a dark cold future she lives in and stuff yeah which i, I think guess is a... just one where people just constantly stand outside waiting to watch you go from place to place or it seems like they're like she sort of like uh Apparently, there's protesters, I guess, because presumably they want to go to the seaside, but only select a select few get chosen to go or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, the second story is called Tourist Season. Script robot Mike Collins, letter about Simon Harrison. Oh, yeah, this Art one's robot A-Mug. weird. I'm pretty sure A-Mug is a pseudonym, but I can't tell who for. Um, but this story opens very nostalgically for me, Fox. I don't know about you, because there's a very similar start to that uh, Robo Hunter story, Day of the Droids, mm. about a guy who sort of finds a, a thing and realizes that they, they're a, a robot version of a human that, that's been replaced. Oh. Like, that was a similar, like, and then goes to a private eye, because there's a story, uh, there's a Sam Slade story that's a very similar opening where I'm a guy's like, hey, Sam it. Slade. 
you've got to help me. I've been turned into a robot. You know, like what? Who, who did this to me? What happened to the real me and stuff like that? I can't put a face to it at all. It sounds it somewhat familiar. It was definitely like in the seventies. You know. Oh like, my gosh. Um, but yeah. Um, this. But so, like Day of the Droids, this guy goes to a private eye to check it out. Um, he's also very interested in the private eye's sexy desk lamp. It seems that uh, this guy just got back from a holiday on the planet um, Istrid Major, and that's the only lead. So the private eye, Ian Nathaniel Trepid, goes out. He talks to other people on that trip and finds there are robots too. Whoa. Trepid then decides to go to the planet on his own. But instead of the fancy beaches and lovely nightlife, all they find are mean human-eating cannibals and and that, that force them to take fake tourist photos and replace the vacationers with robots with downloaded oh. memories up okay. to that point and stuff like that. Then they eat the people. All right. <laughs> anyway, Trepid's back from vacation. He's feeling pretty good about it. He's going to tell everybody to go on vacation at Eastridge Minor or <laughs> Eastridge Major, I should say. And man. Everything's going to be fine, so long as he's got his sexy, sexy desk desk lamp. Oh, God, of course. <laughs> we made don't it. Date la- don't date lamps. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like if there's anything that we can do as a PSA, it's don't, don't date a lamp. Yeah, come on. Yeah, but that's it, buddy. We finished all our thrills Holy for shit. October 1987. Well, 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 Conrad. Well... Well, well, look at how the tables have turned. What were your top and bottom thrills? Oh, my God. Oh I my, don't I'm, like this. broke new ground. I don't like it because usually I, I pick my tops. and because I've, I've had occasion to pick my tops and bottoms uh, because I want to pick something oh. that's different from yours because I want to talk about that as, as well. But happy to do it. For my for my bottom thrill, because um, I feel like all the extended stories were actually really good this month. Like... Mm. um. You know, we had like, like really the only stories we had like four of were Zenith, Strontium Dog, and Dread, and I loved all those. Oh, so yeah. instead, for my bottom, I'm gonna mash together uh, Bradley, Universal Soldier, and uh, Future Shocks. Get out of here! You know, that's a that's a good choice, buddy. But but mostly Universal and Bradley, and mostly <laughs> Universal, and mostly Universal Soldier. Actually, I feel like we talked about that one a lot. But there's just so, so much filler it's so in it. Trash. There's like there's there is like half of like fifty percent of it's a pretty decent story, but it's really dragged down by the um by the boardroom scenes and just yeah. having to deal with that constantly. Um, every time I read the word Iger, I think Bob Iger, and it just gets it gets weird. Yeah. If I had to pick a bottom from the ones that there were four of. <sighs> That's tough. No, I guess man. maybe they maybe were all freaks, good, but uh, they were all pretty good. Like I might also maybe ding, ding um, Zenith because it's very much as sort of a montage episode, but not yeah. really. I feel like it's moving along pretty well. It's um, it's snapping along. It's just that we had to get get guy on board to then kill him. You know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'd say those are more sort of middle area for my top. I am going to say Strontium Dog. Oh, snap, buddy. Um, you know, easy, always easy for the Space Spinner Boys to pick, to pick Strontium Dog. It's one of our, it's our fave. Um, it's it. But I did, so I did really like the, 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 the humor in Strontium Dog this month. Um, right. Like, just the, the, both the sorry case and this, uh, the Rammy story. 
both are very light, breezy, strontium dog stories. Both just sort of like having a good time, telling jokes, being entertaining, you know? I, I feel like it's like a like a like a ride at a theme park or at Disneyland, you know, where you ride the whole thing and you're like, man, this is like it's a pretty cool technical marvel. It's kind of fun. Man, it was so worth the thing. And like, even though it technically lasts something like five minutes, it really doesn't feel like it as soon as you get through it. Like Strontium yeah. Dog, I just breeze through so often because it's just fun to read. Definitely. I mean, I feel like this is a lot of like um, part of it as, as Scare's art really adds something to it and just sort of being willing to just just write a fun story and let the art carry it. I mean, it's a similar situation to like the Stainless Steel Rat stories. Yeah. I think, where if you if the story is kind of lighthearted, then you can just let the art do a lot of the work and keep things very sort of fun. And, and yeah, exactly. All right, Fox, you've messed Whoa. up my format, my precious, <laughs> precious podcast format. How could I do it? Oh my it's God. all I got. I, I, so, I'm so sorry. To pay for your sins, I must know what we were talking about in drills. Dude, it is, uh, it is, uh, this is going to sound so weak. I mean, I have to go and firm solidarity. It's a solidarity mm. month. Like clearly, uh, so everything that wasn't the little drops of filler or, you know, fucking Universal Soldier ending, um, each one of those I don't give a fuck about. But all of these continuance stories and now with fucking Nemesis looking the way it does, like, those were great. Like, mm-hmm. I could read more Freaks. I could stand to read more of that. Like, I'm, I'm curious, you know? Uh, I'm really excited about the Oz fucking storyline, but when it comes to like what was bad, I mean clearly it was bad, and I didn't want to read any of it. And I'm glad one of them's <laughs> gone. I'm really yeah. sad one of them's coming back. Like I want to have I like we're long overdue now because we've had a whipping boy for a little while of like a pure like everything's good fight, you know. And I'm ready for that <laughs> yeah. now. I'm I'm, I'm tired always of, ready for those. I'm tired of just sure. pointing at just fucking Strontium Dog, which is what I'm about to do. Strontium Dog was the best absolutely it was fun it was funny it was weird seeing everybody's face in the um uh a sorry case just kind of looking yeah. somewhat the same that was really Calm great art. yeah yeah it's just odd but you know it was fun and it, it was a cool. good it was a light breezy month except for yeah. i mean there wasn't that many caltrops in the way let's say nah i'll say also i i i i am really loving zenith i think i think it's a lot of yeah. fun they they did a pretty good job of building up the threat that like they, they've done a good job of building up the threat of Master Man. And now that we're in the showdown, you know, having him immediately kill uh, Red Dragon is a bold oh, choice, stakes. I think. Big stakes. Like, I mean, that means that he's, yeah, he's pretty fucking powerful. He killed the guy everyone yeah. said was strong. And that we spent all this time building this character up to have him immediately be killed is kind of an interesting thing as well. We for helped sure. solve his alcoholism before sending him to hell you know definitely um and then also yeah i really like just the retro feel of freaks how it's this sort of you know new funny version of a of a traditional like 50s era horror movie and stuff that's really great super stoked for oz ultra stoked for the start of oz and the kill craze story was pretty fun as well it's just a chance to get to let liam sharp draw some really cool scenes and stuff like that Hmm. so Anyway, wrap up. All <gasps> that said, Fox. <laughs> we made it. Yeah, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. 
Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k, everything else, spacespinner2000, you'll find us there. Then, come back next time as Zenith and Mandala show down with the realms of chaos. Ooh. Bad Company is back at recruiting fresh members. Awesome. Chopper heads south of the border. <laughs> two Torquemadas meet, and the Rammy begins. Ooh. God damn, man. Next episode's going to be pretty good. I think it's there's going to be some of, real fun stuff in there. Yeah. Totally. Until then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox and Z. Our Space Fitter 2000. Oh, oh,